0: Welcome to the Business Buzz. I'm your host, Harold Littlejohn. I'm here to discuss some fantastic economic news, some local news, and I also have a special guest today that's gonna be very informative and entertaining. So you're gonna have a great hour if you stick with me. So glad you're here. Uh, I'm here today with a few topics. I'm really debating. I'm gonna try to get all three of these topics in real quick for my uh, opening salvo. I talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that Sears is closing the Chico mall store and we talked about the fact that commercial real estate is can be a very risky business and when a malls anchor like Sears leaves the mall the other stores can have various adjustments to their rents in other words there's a chance that when a big anchor leaves a mall The whole mall can start going downhill pretty fast. Uh, One article that I read mentions that they figure within five or ten years, uh, 25% of all the malls in the U.S. will be closed. I know in the Midwest it's even worse than it is around here. Of course, California has some malls that are unbelievably busy. I think back to, like, if you go to Arden Fair in Sacramento, you can't even get a parking space. So some malls are doing fine, but a lot of them aren't. The reason that topic came up for me today is that in the news and review, and I believe it was on a television blurb, the Bank of America is closing the Paradise branch. And I was thinking, well, there's other banks in Paradise. I mean, nobody likes to switch banks, but if you need to, you could. Or you can you know, do it when you come to Chico, maybe to go to Food for Less or whatever your Chico trip involves. But what I was recalling is that there's two other banks Bank of America branches that have disappeared in Chico. Does anybody remember those? About three or four years ago, there was a nice convenient branch right on the Skyway where there's now Banner Bank, which used to be America West Bank. And so that B of A closed just, I think, two or three years ago. The one that I'm thinking about is right across the street from where I'm sitting at the KKXX studio. There used to be a little branch in Longfellow, where In Motion Fitness is now, and that was a long time ago. There's still an ATM, but there used to be a branch. So the moral of the story is the Internet has affected some businesses in a big way, and I believe it's trickling down to the commercial real estate world, and uh, it's just uh, not looking good when banks start closing branches. You know, you're going to get a lot less service. You're going to kind of have to go online. So anyway, that topic number one was the fact that – Bank of America is leaving Paradise, which is kind of sad because you know it's awfully nice to have convenience like that when you when you're a, if you're a Paradise resident. Now, my next topic, we're spreading out a little bit farther. I have been under the impression, and I've tried to get this across with some of the articles I've talked about, that a lot of the markets that your money may be sitting in are what I would call fake markets. You you've heard about fake news well I'm calling these fake markets and I've got a couple of articles to talk about here today uh, one of them is from uh, my favorite news gathering website it's called zerohedge.com. I look at it every day I'm ahead of the curve uh, I see articles on items that don't come up on the news for uh, a period of time after so I feel like I'm ahead of the game when I read these guys a lot but anyway the title of this article Uh, which is, uh, it's a few months old now, but it was reporting at the end of 2016, the Bank of Japan was the top buyer of Japanese stocks in 2016. Now, what is a central bank doing buying stocks? Does that make sense? Anyway, I'm just going to read a little bit of this one. When it comes to propping up the stock market in the U.S., the Federal Reserve does so with a certain degree of nuance, keeping at least one layer of disintermediation between itself and the market, which usually involves advising Citibank to intervene when it comes to acute moments of market stress. But uh, it says uh, uh, granting the uh, heavy hedge fund a green light to stop and reverse violent sell-offs, or more traditionally, allowing companies to repurchase their own stocks thanks to record low interest rates. So anyway, this is just the problem in the U.S. We actually have our Federal Reserve indirectly buying stocks. and uh, But it turns out that Japan directly buys Japanese stocks. And uh, so they, they, they show some charts in this article. But I encourage you to, uh, r- to read Zero Hedge and uh, they, they report on things like this. So I think the bottom line of this whole issue is what is the business of a, a national central bank? What's, what's that business for? What are they supposed to be doing? Are they really supposed to be buying stocks? Uh, there was another article that was uh, very interesting that um, turns out the Swiss National Bank is now, I believe uh, it's another article called Mystery Central Bank Buyer Revealed. Swiss National Bank now owns a record $84 billion in U.S. stocks. And it turns out that uh, they are something like the fifth largest holder of Apple shares of any uh, of any investor. So anyway, my whole tirade about fake markets is supported when you read these stories about central banks actually buying uh, stocks of their own country or foreign stocks now speaking of Bank of America I had to share this with you real quick this is just a quick quote Uh, I'm gonna let you guess who said this Uh, so this was stated in 1836 and I'm going to read it and then I'm gonna ask you to see if you have any idea who said this see if this is a tinfoil crackpot or or who this might have been the bold effort the present bank had made to control the government are but premonitions of the fate that await the American people should they be deluded into a perpetuation of this institution or the establishment of another like it. I am one of those who do not believe that a national debt is a national blessing, but rather a curse to a republic, inasmuch as it is calculated to raise around the administration a moneyed aristocracy dangerous to the liberties of the country. Oh, and as an aside, remember I've been telling you about the $20 trillion of national debt and how it'll never be paid back. So I'll continue. Gentlemen, I have had men watching you for a long time, and I am convinced that you have used the funds of the bank to speculate in the breadstuffs of the country. When you won, you divided the profits amongst you, and when you lost, you charged it to the bank. You tell me that if I take the deposits from the bank and annul its charter, I shall ruin 10,000 families. That may be true, gentlemen, but that is your sin. Should I let you go on, you will ruin 50,000 families, and that would be my sin. You are a den of vipers and thieves. You are a den of vipers and thieves. I intend to rout you out, and by the grace of the eternal God, will rout you out. End quote. So if anybody has any guesses as to what kind of tin foil crackpot said that, that was Andrew Jackson when he closed the second federal bank that was established in 1816. And um, I have also heard that they're talking about changing the portrait on the $20 bill to Harriet Tubman and getting rid of Andrew Jackson. So if you ever wonder why it was the 20 that got changed instead of the $1, 5 or 10 uh, I think I've just, I think I've just explained it to you uh, in direct quotes. So anyway, that's my uh, little economic wrap up for today. Now I'm going to bring you to the uh, the exciting part of the show. I have a special guest in the studio with me. His name is Jesse Allred. He's a longtime Chico resident. He's got a fantastic uh, history, uh, his family, his own things. Uh, I've known him a long time. I've always I'm always entertained with all of the things he's able to teach me and uh, tell me. And uh, he's also a good listener, of course. But uh, uh, I'm going to introduce him here right now. So, uh, how's it going, Jesse?
1: Very well, Harold. And thank you very much for having me on.
0: Hey, no problem. I uh, I'm always looking for interesting guests, and uh, you definitely qualify in that department. Well, thanks. So. Um, You know what? I'd like to kind of just start out a little bit talking about uh, your family history, because you're not the first generation to be in Chico. Uh,
1: No. In fact, uh, my parents met at Chico State uh, in the mid-40s. Wow. And um, my dad from Marysville, my mom from Red Bluff. And um, they went on a double date with uh, other partners, but liked one another enough to date afterwards.
0: That's interesting because I met my wife on a double date. I was with the wrong person and now I'm with the (laughs) right person. My parents too. (laughs) So they, uh, so they came to Chico State. Uh, I'm assuming they weren't commuting. They were living in Chico when they went to
1: college. Yep. They were living here.
0: So did they end up
1: working in Chico after their college? Um, no, as a matter of fact, uh, they had to go to war. This was World War II. Oh, oh I forgot about that little yep. glitch. And so um, after the war, my dad was in the Air Force band. Um, after the war, uh, they returned to uh, what we uh, call the ranch in Red Bluff, uh, where my grandfather uh, grew wheat and uh, sheep. Oh. And um, for the longest time, uh, they after the war, they stayed there until... Um, My grandmother said, uh, you got to go get work. Well, at the time, there wasn't a lot of work, and so they decided that they would join a circus. Oh, so they joined a traveling circus? Yep, they joined a traveling circus and liked it enough that then they created their own um, interesting and unique animal show called the Great Pan American Exhibition. And had over 200 exotic animals, and they toured up and down California, going to at the time strip malls.
0: Wow! Yeah. So, the, so that was kind of like a miniature Barnum and Bailey thing. Did well, have...
1: um, more kind of like a, a a zoo on wheels. Okay,
0: so people could look at the animals. They didn't do yep. a lot of uh, standing on stools no, no, and no elephants. No, acts, just no Just a
1: lot of information about the animals themselves, and. Uh, You would go into an entrance that was draped with canvas and uh, look at the animals on either side of you, and it was just a great big U. So there were peacocks and parrots up front and uh, a a Malayan sun bear at the back and uh, numerous other animals, alligators. Uh, rhesus monkeys, red-faced macaques,
0: wow. raccoons, so, so etc. So
1: they were able to bring a
0: zoo experience to, like, small towns and right. everything?
1: Right. And uh, they started that just after the war, um, created it, and then went on the road in late 1946, uh, and then um, really did get the circus bug and closed that up because they had so many good relationships with animal providers, hence places like Marine World and and others with circuses. And so they decided that they would go away on the circus. And mom stayed in Chico as she was having children, and dad joined C.R. Montgomery and started playing in the band and doing several things for that circus. Oh, wow. Yeah. So
0: did he do that for quite a while? or Well, um, it-
1: probably only for about six or eight months because they both missed one another so much. Right. Uh, but they loved the circus so much that they had the opportunity to buy a circus, and they bought a circus called Robinson Brothers. And Robinson Brothers Circus uh, was an interesting story all unto its own. They uh, have been around since the late uh, late 1800s, and they fell into disrepair. Um, And the guy that owned it uh, was in bankruptcy and claimed to be crazy, and his wife was trying to get money from him in the divorce. And uh, basically what he did was commit himself and sell the show. So they bought it and they ran it. Uh, my dad was a ringmaster and my mom was everything else.
0: Wow, and did they keep the name Robinson Brothers yes. Circus? Yes, yes they did. And how long did, how? when did that end up That was ending? two or
1: three years long and they bought another show and combined that and then bought a third or a fourth show and combined that and then um, then came the two uh, younger twin brothers of mine and all of a sudden the family was at six and seven um, and it was just more than hauling kids around and so they came back to Chico and decided dad decided that he would uh, get his teaching credentials and teach music because he's really he was an Air Force band really an excellent musician. what
0: instrument did he play in the band
1: all of them but primarily trumpet and baritone
0: Wow yeah so did you grow up with I know you have what five or six brothers and sisters I had
1: three older sisters and three younger brothers oh. I had four older sisters but one died of encephalitis
0: oh wow so you were kinda right in the middle exactly in the middle but then so you you guys all pretty much grew up in chico after they stopped their traveling circus world Yep, we had
1: uh... we'd left the animals and wintered in red bluff at the ranch but mom and dad came back down to school And we lived over on Pomona, and then we lived over on Bidwell Avenue. Oh, yeah. And we had animals in the backyards of both of those places. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be right back after the break, and
0: we're going to get into some more Chico history and current Chico business. So stay tuned.
2: With home mortgage rates still near historic lows, now is a great time to buy or refinance. Michael Humes is your one stop mortgage lender.
1: Michael Humes and his knowledgeable staff are well versed in a wide variety of loan
2: types, including FHA, Fannie Mae, USDA, HomePath, and HARP. For a free evaluation of your mortgage needs, call him 530 624 7942. That's 530 624 7942.
0: Be sure to listen to Michael's Mortgage Market Update every Wednesday at two thirty on Your Home Today. This is
2: Michael Humes, Mortgage Specialist at Network Mortgage, located at one fifty five East Third Avenue. NMLS License two three zero two seven three BRE License 01250862. Employed by Network Mortgage BRE License 01840139, NMLS License three five eight two three seven Equal Housing Opportunity. What is your role in the fight against cancer? The answer could be as simple as driving your car. For many cancer patients, getting to and from treatment is one of their toughest challenges. The American Cancer Society needs volunteer drivers to help provide transportation for people in your community. Through the gift of a lift in your car, you can help patients take one more step in the road to recovery. Get in the driver's seat in the fight against cancer. To find out more, call your American Cancer Society at
1: 1-800-227-2345 or visit cancer.org.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is your host Harold Littlejohn. I'm here with Jesse Allred. We're talking Chico history. We're going to talk a lot of Chico business and uh, California business. Uh, One interesting thing is uh, when I met Jesse, it was through uh, having uh, worked helping his mother, and uh, they are they were the founders of a store that I'm going to guess could be like the second longest running. Retail in Chico behind Collier's?
1: Well, behind Collier's and probably Clifford's Jewelry, although Clifford's is now closed as well. Right. Uh, Mom started a gift shop um, in 1963, and it was called Handcraft House, and it was out at the house at, at you're
0: At your house. And right. then But it got so popular she needed to move to a retail location. He needed more
1: space, and so we moved to what is now Tri-County's Bank at Fifth and Salem, and then we were there for several years and then moved to... Um, the uh, Fifth Street location where it uh, survived for a very long time, next to Fifth Street Steakhouse. Right,
0: and and that was Grace Jr. for yep. a long time.
1: Yep, well, when Mom was born, they were really expecting a boy. And <laughs> oh, so yeah. he was going to be called Joe Jr. Well, a girl came out, and so they kept with the Jr., but they called her Grace Jr., and her middle name is Jr. period. <laughs>
0: So that explains the Grace Jr. name of the store. Yep. Unfortunately, Grace Jr. finally closed its doors recently. Is that right? Well,
1: yeah. It's kind of interesting. Um, My sister, Pony, um, worked at the shop for 40-plus years with my mother. And uh, as we all go along our way, she wanted to retire. And so... She retired, and we closed this past uh, spring.
0: Right, right. But that's that's quite a run. So it started in 63, so that ran about yeah, 50, uh, over 50 years.
1: Yeah, over 50 years. Yeah. We had a 50th anniversary, and you can still go online and see a bunch of videos at the com site. Uh, and the Facebook site because there's some really interesting family history to see.
0: Wow, that's cool. Now you also uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your all of your work experience and uh, now the young people listening. Uh, one of the reasons Jesse is such an interesting guy for me is that he has spent a long career and some of his career has been involved with working with companies that are startups in in the uh, computer world and you know that's sort of like the it's sort of like the gold rush of the current century is these young guys like Zuckerberg who are billionaires because of a computer-based idea. So there's a lot of people working at figuring something out, you know, to do some kind of startup and um, do some kind of business. Well, Jesse's actually been in that world for quite a long time. So uh, tell us about some of your experience helping startup
1: people and things like that. Well, thanks for asking, Harold. And first of all, I think the most interesting thing about a startup is generally it is an idea from an individual who sees an opening that could be exploited. In other words, why don't people do this? Why isn't this available to me? And if you think about all of the opportunities that technology has brought, whether it's uh, the internet uh, or laptop computer, uh, uh, a uh, cell phone, all of the things that many uh, young people take for granted today because they were born with them. Um, We grew up uh, with a pencil and paper. And so startups always tend to look like something that has never been done before. And people question why. And I've always seen that the closer you get to zero in math, the further away you become. And so here we are in an industry um, technology, regardless of what kind, whether it's gaming or, or uh, internet, Communications or anything, communication, or you name it, um, you can always find something that hasn't been done. And the very interesting thing about technology is if you think about what could be done, well, there used to be taxis, now there's Uber and Lyft. So how come? Because there was an opportunity that someone were, was able to figure out a faster way than sticking your hand up, standing in the rain, yelling or whistling for a ride someplace. <laughs> right. and, and that's really what happened. Someone figured out that technology could be used to identify a partnership, take the financial risk out of it, and allow each individual to consummate a transaction, and know where the other is at any given moment. Uh, Pretty phenomenal. Right, and the fact that cell phones can now do that easily means Uber can do all the ride sharing. Yep, my prediction is Uber will grow and grow and grow and grow, just like Lyft will, but they won't need people. They'll have autonomous cars. And so you'll simply tell the car where to pick you up and where you want to go, And it'll show up. Uh, The technology is already in place from the cell phone for the transactional costs to be taken care of. And so away you go. So uh, opportunity for the future. Buy a fleet of autonomous cars. (laughs) Now,
0: now that's something I wanted to also mention because, and I want your opinion on this, but I read that one-sixth of all the new Wendy's restaurants are going to have robots cooking the burgers.
1: Yeah, I've heard the same thing. Um, and it's probably a very efficient way to do business. Um, the one problem with technology is um, we're losing some social interaction. And you can see some of the jokes on YouTube and elsewhere where you see six people sitting across from one another having uh, a lunch or dinner at a table. They're all on cell phones, they're not talking to one another. <laughs> right. And th- the more that you replace social interaction with technology, the more society loses. I'm not saying uh, that technology shouldn't be used. In fact, it improves a whole host of issues, and the, the genome uh, issue is, is one that will make us all live much, much longer. But the fact of the matter is you should be talking to someone because they're more interesting than you are, I not can, texting I,
0: them. I can envision in a few years all these places are going to go to all robots, but then there's going to be a wave of nostalgia where they bring back regular people to greet you
1: Yep, there's still bearcat scanners and all kinds of uh... uh walkie talkie things and think about this for a second you if you're in san francisco and in some cases here in chico and order something from amazon in all likelihood you'll either get it before the day is up or you'll get it the next day well that will be improved with the addition of drones and all the technology rules and regulations to coordinate that but think about the other side of it. As nice as that is, do you have to be there to pick that up or will there be some crook waiting for it because he knows there's a particular route right? Like and the, it's an efficient route and he can track that route because he can hack into the system and just see where that expensive cell phone is going to be delivered. Yes, many will require a signature.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a good point because um, if the delivery happens that quick with a drone, it just has to be left on the porch. So. Yeah.
1: Yep. unless yeah. the U.S. Post Office, which I understand pays for a significant portion of some of these deliveries, although I haven't tracked that down, um, has a facility where, uh, like in many small uh, uh, cul-de-sac areas or uh, apartment areas, a place where there's multiple mailboxes. Perhaps there could be multiple drop boxes, kind of like the blue post office box that you put your... Uh, mail into yeah. safely when you actually have a physical piece of mail to send
0: right and they do they do have those Amazon location areas now right. where you pick up your Amazon or whatever so yep. yeah that whole thing's gonna change but I think the main thing about the startups in Chico now uh, the place called Chico start you've worked with some of those young people there
1: I have it's a very interesting opportunity for people to understand there are places that help subsidize the start of your company um, internet desks lights uh, right so uh, for a small basically am- an office right. for a very small amount of money
0: so if any listeners are out there thinking well I really can't go into business right now I don't have a place to do it I don't have a they could go to talk to Chico start that's correct and for what like, 50 a month or something start various yeah but they can actually rent a desk for a certain number of hours per week
1: And that whole place is like a little, what do they call it, an incubator? Yep, it's definitely an incubator, and there's several around. Um, There's incubators over in Oroville. There's been one down in South Chico. Um, These are, in fact, Chico State has uh, a heck of a business incubator, and they like to keep their fingers on a lot of places because they have many tools and opportunities for young people uh, and others to step up and get help. Right. And uh, so that's
0: probably part of the reason why Chico has this type of atmosphere regarding new companies, because Chico State has that whole entrepreneur major, and
1: it's a pretty well-respected major, I believe. Very well-respected. And uh, beyond that, it's like the domino effect. You have one uh, individual uh, starting a company and then another sees it and starts one and it just it cascades from there.
0: That's right. And this is Harold Littlejohn your host we'll be right back with Jesse Allred after this break. Stay tuned. Hello, I'm Joyce Meyer and I want to personally invite you to join me on this station every Monday through Friday for enjoying everyday life. You know, life's journey is challenging for all of us. And on my program, I'm going to share with you practical truths from God's Word that are going to help you live the life that God intends for you to have. Let me encourage you that Jesus came so that you can know peace and truly enjoy your everyday life.
2: Weekdays at 1015 here on KKXX. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Scott Ulrich. I'm Ben Taney. I'm Trisha Coder. And I'm Matt Four. This is Jessica Wilkerson, one of your hosts of Chico Now. A half hour designed for the community and brought to you by the community. Each day, one of our hosts will join with people from organizations throughout the greater Chico area. We want to let you know what's happening in Chico Now. So join us at 1230, Monday through Friday, here on KKXX for Chico Now. People are always looking to invest in a good opportunity. So what if you could invest in the future of kids, like a stock, not the kind of stock that's about making money, but a stock for social change called Better Futures. With your investment, it helps students like me go to college. My name
0: is Charles, and I'm your dividend.
1: Invest in Better Futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council.
2: It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, hey! the dreaded (laughs) splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz on KKXX. I'm your host, Harold Littlejohn. Uh, we're talking with Jesse Allred, a local businessman. And Jesse, I want to learn more, and the listeners would love to hear about what's, what's the uh, anatomy of a startup? I mean, I know there's a lot of variations, but how do these startups work, and what are the stages, and what happens during these stages
1: for, for the layman? For the layman is pretty simple. If you've got passion for uh the idea that you've uh developed or created or think might have value for more than your direct family, there are a number of ways that you can help yourself into a successful business. Uh Harold mentioned one earlier, and that's Chico Start. It's the it's the framework of an office environment with connections and contacts to here in Chico anyway other really intelligent and successful individuals that have typically uh, been in technology startups previously. The funding of these things tend to be uh, one of the most interesting and, and challenging things to, to address. Uh, in an economy where uh, you have a dot-com boom, money is pretty easily received. Uh, you could uh, create a ball of smoke and people would fund it. But unfortunately, that bubble burst horrifically, and it went from a company with an idea only, and getting funded, uh, and completely productless, to now uh, they have a a standard business model. While things can be accelerated, typically you have to have a product or service. You have a, a term to go through, and it takes many years for a successful business to leave the startup world. Some of the ways to fund that initially are always, you know, uh, friends and family. Uh, unfortunately, many individuals start with credit card debt to fund their business. While that is one way of doing it, especially if you're creating an app, the difficulty with uh, credit card funding is at some point you're going to have to pay that debt back and Generally, it's sooner than you can turn a profit on anything that you've created.
0: Right, because it's not an overnight thing to start That's a new correct. product. That's so, correct. I mean, when we're looking at, a, at a, a tech-related startup, like you were saying, back in the 90s, everybody would fund any idea. Pretty much. And the stock would shoot up to the moon, and then we had the dot-com crash. Yep. So now it's, like you say, it's become part of the industry now. It's an understood fact of what you need. So... Let's just say you're a listener who's a young guy with an idea for a an app. Like I just noticed the other day at a restaurant, Seat Ninja does your announcing yep. that your table's ready. Yeah. Well, somebody thought of Seat Ninja and probably sold it to what Google and made millions of dollars. I mean,
1: while that's possible, it's yeah. more likely that uh, the individual um, may have sold it and not gotten the full value of what it could actually do. Or might
0: that have been developed by Google employees sitting at a desk?
1: It's always possible. Um, Some of these things are hidden, some are obvious, and uh, let's just assume we're talking to the guy that has a great idea, and he's already developed a product or a service, and he wants to get out into the world. Right. Well, there are strategic partnerships, there's, of course, um, money and business partnerships, and one of the things that I'd like to convey is that there is this thing called distribution. And it used to be distribution was a Sears catalog and a guy that pretty much brought a wagon full of goods into town and you could order from the catalog and months later it would show up. Well, those were hard goods distribution. There's direct distribution, which means I make it and I sell it to you. There's indirect distribution, and that's I make it and I sell it to someone who sells it to you. And then there's the Internet, and it's virtually the same. You can have, receive physical products from companies that make things that you buy online, obvious, but you can also have a distributed relationship where the company you buy it from happens to have or be an Amazon partner and you think you may be getting it from Amazon, but no, it's the partnership or an affiliate label that you get. So how do you fund yourself? Well, after you've developed either a product and or a service and some form of sales or distribution, whether it's e-commerce or through an affiliate label or an eBay store for that matter, how do you improve that? Whether or not it's competitive uh, is a question you would ask, whether or not it's um, unique and therefore filling a need that really makes people stand up and take notice. So. You kind of need to stay under the covers for a while until you determine whether or not there's something that someone can do faster, better, and cheaper than you if you really do have a good idea.
0: Because those people that you're going to go to looking for the funding you need are going to ask those exact questions. Is that right?
1: Yep. And you've got to know if you've got competition. And in most cases, you'd never produce a product or a service unless there's competition in the marketplace, unless you find that angle that says, I can do it better, faster, cheaper myself and the next level of funding and that's really where a lot of companies go is it's called angel funding and angel funding typically um... is individuals and in fact there are a number of angels here in chico and there are a number of angel groups in northern california in the bay area uh, and in sacramento
0: and they're looking for good ideas Constantly. to fund constant they, they probably have a shortage of things they like to put money into
1: that's absolutely right. And more importantly, not everybody puts money into everything. So if you have a funding source uh, or have identified a funding source, what you have to do is you have to determine whether or not it's in that individual's or, or uh, group's uh, wheelhouse. Do they understand Internet? Do they understand physical manufacture? Do they, what is it that they do? What do they invest in? Because you can spend a lot of time making presentations to money sources or being frustrated by not ever getting a meeting because you're asking a guy about a car when you should be talking about a piece of uh, network hardware right so don't don't go after a, a money source without knowing that they have funded something in your general area of product or service.
0: So let's say I've got an idea and maybe it's an internet thing. Maybe it's a physical product. If I didn't know someone like you, who's done this before, how would I, how would I find an even possible angel funding? I mean, would I look on the Internet some? Well, Would I search?
1: My, my son told me uh, some years back, after I constantly hounded him to provide me information that I could search for myself, he, he came up with the phrase, have you tried Google yet? <laughs> okay. um, if you type angel funding into Google, you will find a plethora of sources. You can then research those sites, determine what kinds of investments those companies make, because one of the worst things in the world that you could do is call someone up who's already funded a competitive product only to tell them that you think you've got something better, Um, the chance of them helping you um, narrows. Or or liking
0: you. (laughs) Or liking you,
1: but they won't ignore you. They'll start doing all kinds of what-if scenarios on whether or not you can Uh, beat their uh, investment now, and maybe take you out. Who knows? Anything can happen in this world. Right. So uh, basically
0: then, when somebody has an idea, if they can get funding somehow, then what are those next steps? Isn't there a lot of development, uh,
1: testing? It it used to be you could get funding uh, from smoke, but now what you really have to do is you have to have a product, you have to have a service, and you have to have revenue. It Proof of a marketplace is you're generating money.
0: Kind and of like on Shark Tank. They, they ask them, what have your sales been? Yep, yep. Why would we want this if you yep. can only do X? Yep. You know?
1: And um, all of the industry standard terms are, do you have a scalable business model? Have you got a business plan? Well, business models are more important than business plans these days because move, things move so quickly. But what you need to do is you need to be able to talk intelligently about what you want. And there are some really great PowerPoints out there that have been developed, particularly for a variety of funding sources that get right to the heart of a question that the funding source wants an answer to. So for example you, So if you know how to get to those PowerPoints. Oh absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. what what's the what's the size of your marketplace? Right. Um, what's the total marketplace? What's your share of that marketplace? Um, Why is it someone would want to buy whatever you have? Why why are you better than your competition? Are you faster, better, cheaper, and so forth. So there's a, a whole series of very important questions that funding sources want to get to before they've even listened to your pitch. They want to see your deck. And
0: by you looking at those first, you'll realize that, hey, maybe my idea isn't so good. I don't really have a market for this.
1: Well, it depends or on whether I need you're. More well, it depends on whether you're consulting or whether or not you're, you know, just simply uh, looking to make a living. Um, I, I've never tried to take any passion away from anyone who thinks they have a good idea, but I can steer them into some common sense um, uh, questions and answers that should give them a pretty good idea of what their chances are. For example, um, I'm not so sure that if you're a uh, kids starting out, that you should and uh, start a browser. Heaven forbid if I would ever uh, tell you not to, because that's the passion that individuals have to succeed. However, there are some pretty big companies out there who are looking at creating browsers that are different than a Google today. So are there market opportunities? Yes. Uh, should I step on your dream? No. But what... You should be um, very conversant with is how realistic um, is what I'm attempting to do uh, going to happen? Am I uh, simply going to have a job, or am I going to have a career, or am am I going to go to work every day wondering how I got so lucky that it doesn't feel like work?
0: Right, <laughs> and that you know that's that's really interesting because that's really the same approach I take on a small scale to anybody who I'm talking to as their CPA. And they tell me they're thinking about something. Absolutely. And I immediately start asking them things like, do you have a plan? What's the, hey, the One of the big questions I ask, and this is so important and a lot of people skip it, what's your break-even point? Yep. It's one of the basics of business that a lot of people, they don't want to hear the word no, and they want to go ahead with a project even though it's not going to work. But I would say that in this environment... It's not that costly to give it a shot, is that right? I mean, oh, if that's you've got right. an
1: idea? It's generally very inexpensive with a lot of arms and legs help, like Chico Start and CSU Chico, that can get you into a spot to allow you to develop your idea right. and or product To reserve. assess whether it sounds good or Absolutely. not. Absolutely. And then, you know, it all gets really, really hard after that.
0: That's right. Well, we're going to be right back to discuss that a little more. And uh, stay tuned to KKXX. We'll be back on Business Buzz right after these words.
2: Hello, I'm Gary Crossland. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, Everything in the epistles points backward to Jesus. That's why I encourage people to read the words of Jesus every day. This is where emotional and spiritual health come from. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Well, where do you read his commandments? But in the gospels. Now I know that it's easy to get a little confused when jumping between one gospel and the next, which is why I wrote the merged gospels. It's where all four gospels are literally translated from the Greek Hi, this is Rick McConnell with the Disciple Tip. Nobody has to tell you when you need more gas in your car, you look at the gauge, and if it's low, you put some gas back in. But what about your spirit? It works pretty much the same way. Your spiritual tank can get empty, and when it's low, you need a spiritual fill-up. But you don't have a gauge on your spirit to see how low you're getting. But there are some signs like depression, irritability, and a sense that God is far away. See Galatians chapter 5 for more signs of an empty tank and the secret of getting your spiritual tank full again. A message from Life Radio, KKXX AM and FM.
0: Welcome to Business Buzz. We're here with Jesse Allred for our final segment. And uh, Jesse's very active in the the community. Uh, We're going to talk about one of his favorite passions that he loves to help out. Tell us about the uh, Science
1: Museum, Jesse. I am uh, very proud and very pleased to be a part of the Gateway Science Museum next to Bidwell Mansion. Um, I joined their group in 2000 and have been a part ever since. Has it I was, been there that long? Uh, no, it hasn't. In fact, um, our grand opening uh, was in 2010, and one of the reasons that I uh, simply loved it was th- my parents and their love of exotic animals and science and, and natural history, and the other piece of that was... They needed money, and I helped raise money along with all of the other board members. So, so it was
0: you worked kind of like a startup for a nonprofit. Oh,
1: very much so. In fact, I, I went to a, a place in San Francisco very early on, uh, probably halfway through 2000, called Compass Point. And if you're interested in learning anything about how uh, a nonprofit operates, Compass Point is one of the most amazing. The other is, of course, North Valley Community Foundation right here in Chico.
0: I gotta ask was this before the stock market burst or af- was, this, oh, yeah. was the, this while they
1: were running up or while they were dropping? Well it was both um, <laughs> because as in all things it takes a long time to start a museum. The original idea from Dr. Ray Barnett who was a biologist professor at Chico State um, had an idea in 1996 for such a thing um, and through iterations time uh, business plans um, all kinds of things, um, it became a reality. Uh, and uh, it took us uh, 10 years to fund, build, and open the Gateway Science Museum. And the reason we did it was there was an absolute dearth of science education. And we felt we could supplement that with the university's help. So we are a true university community partnership. Um, and there are 20 board members. We're always seeking new board members. How often does the board meet? Uh, well, the board itself has a monthly meeting, but there are half a dozen committees that meet weekly. Wow. We are a very engaged and active board. Um, it just takes that to to help this museum uh, on its way. It's run by some really fantastic people. Um, we support them with our fundraising activities. We support them with our arms and legs at events, um, at, uh, well, the exhibits, which are so cool. Right now we've got Amusement Park Science, well, which is a lot well, of fun. That's right up your alley. It really is. In fact, um, there was some question about whether or not we should do a, a circus exhibit. Uh, but the science of circus is, um, uh, well, let's just say it's pretty interesting as well, and we're not quite ready for that one. But there's also some other interesting things. If you haven't been to the Gateway Science Museum, go to Groupon and type in Gateway Science Museum. You'll find some very interesting discounts to be able to come and attend and get a family membership and other things. And and please do me a favor, um, visit. It is a gem here in the North State.
0: Now, and, other than admissions, how does the museum support itself? Is well, it, it, it uh,
1: supports itself from some help from the university. Uh, they help with funding. Um, they help with uh, some staffing. They help with... Um, Uh, interns and students, students absolutely, Uh, we have docents and interns, um, and have from day one, uh, it's just a terrific relationship, we've changed careers, we've changed uh, majors, we've changed people's lives, Uh, uh, we think for the better. And you Uh, were
0: talking earlier how uh, one of the things that you've been able to do through the museum is to attract more female science majors absolutely
1: that... well one of the things that we uh, really see in the marketplace today is that women and young ladies and girls are not as involved in science as much as men are and they certainly could be and should be and in fact when you come to technology we're finding that many more women are stepping up and getting into graphic arts design uh, into computer programming and doing all kinds of things with technology companies and having a, a basic understanding of science is really a plus. And there's plenty of room for uh, women of all ages. So where do they put their pocket protectors? Well, In their purse? It, it, well, <laughs> it, there are men with purses, too. They're called, you know, man purses. You know, or I,
0: <laughs> I hate to be a sexist, but I just had to mention that. Well, because I, the whole world, know, when whatever. I was growing up, the 70s and 80s, it was really a stereotype. If you were into computers, you were, you know... A nerd with glasses and tape on your glasses and a pocket protector. No, Not anymore. They're today's
1: billionaires.
0: You know, I had a friend, and I got to tell you, everybody, I'm Mr. Businessman, right? You guys hear me talk. Uh, I'm so smart. I have a friend who works in the computer business, and I I visited with him a couple times a year, a family friend. And he told me in 1994, he said, Harold, look into this thing called World Wide Web. That's where it's at. And I think back now, if I had have seriously dug in a little bit of research, I could have bought Yahoo, eBay, Amazon in the mid-90s. And I wouldn't probably be sitting here today unless I had a studio set up on the beach at in Tahiti.
1: That might be true. And so we are, <laughs> are always looking for the next scientist because they can be... Um, in grammar school, they can be at a startup. Uh, they can be an attendee at our museum. And by the way, today is the first day of Chico News and Reviews Best of series. So please go to their website, click on the 2017 Best of, and give the Gateway Science Museum a positive smile.
0: That sounds great. Yeah. So are there what are what are some of the other interesting things you remember over the last seven years since the museum's been open? What are some of the Coolest exhibits you remember?
1: Oh man, we had uh, our opening exhibit was um, all about insects, and the creatures were all animatronic, and they were huge—a fifteen-foot praying mantis. And then we also did grossology. We had the pleasure of having uh, grossology's author come in and sign books and talk. And uh, we also—that's that
0: a- book that's all about gross stuff, like uh, boogers yeah. and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: it. Kids love it, and parents (laughs) just are aghast, it's a lot of fun.
0: Where did you get the 15-foot moving insects?
1: That was from one of the uh, um, exhibit houses, and we're a really interesting um, and learning organization because we learned way back when that um, if you wanted dead animals behind glass, you'd probably get a visitor once in their lifetime but we have traveling exhibits. Our exhibits change three and four times a year. So whether it's the North Gallery or the Newberry Gallery, which is to the south, or the Valley Gallery, all of these different exhibits change out with great frequency. So you want to make sure that you get a family membership, that you get in there and you see what's happening today, because tomorrow it can change. One of the other things we're doing is having career day. Career day is a we, we get a bunch of speakers, sometimes technology guys, sometimes science guys, sometimes pilots and NASA people, and we invite high school juniors to come in. And we have each of these speakers talk about what their careers have been like, how they got to where they are, um, to just simulate the ideas in a junior's mind on where does he want to go to college, where does she want to go to college, where do they think that their career will lead. So we're having a lot of fun at the Gateway, and it's just been a real pleasure being a part of it.
0: You know, and one thing about that, uh, just so the listeners know, this work that you do for the Gateway all these years, what's your title again? I'm the president of the Community Advisory Board. Right. You do this for no reimbursement. Is that no pay?
1: Uh, correct. All of us do. Uh, it's an entire voluntary or volunteer organization. Right,
0: it's, right. But, and i most people probably thought that, but I'd just like to point that out because you've really got a passion for it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's just,
0: you know, something that you feel good about all the time.
1: It, it is. And I got hooked. My neighbor, who was the board's uh, attorney, uh, knew that I collected roadkill and had them taxidermied. And one day he said, hey, you got to meet this guy named Ray. Um, and I met Ray Barnett. And Ray and I traveled all over, uh, going to museum meetings and talking to potential funders and donors and... Um, my dad had rabbits and and exotic animals and birds of all kinds, and um, I grew up that way. And it is just something that has been wonderful. I've I've taken the animals to the uh, elementary schools where kids get to actually touch a real bear, raccoon, coyote. Are we talking taxidermy? Taxidermied animals. You yeah. have some. I have tons of taxidermied animals. And did you do the taxidermy? No, no. Oh, okay. I had professionals do that. Oh, okay. Uh, and so that. Uh, uh, My next-door neighbor thought that that might be a fit for the Natural History Museum, which turned out to be the Science Museum. So we went through several iterations. And uh, the the thing I'd like to really uh, emphasize here is that while we started out being a museum called the Northern California Natural History Museum to extol the virtues of dinosaurs, it became apparent that that held some interest, but not full-time interest, of the discerning public. Hence, our shift and our growth in learning and knowledge of what the public needed and wanted, and, and that is a science museum.
0: Is this, could this sort of be related to like the Exploratorium?
1: Uh, um, similar. We have, have one room that's 100% stuff. hands-on and two rooms that have um, quite a bit of hands-on work. Usually the North Gallery is all hands-on, and the South Gallery is some hands-on. So, yeah, you come in, so it's and pretty we much want you gar- to play.
0: It's guaranteed the kids are going to love it when oh, they get in yeah, there. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Wow. There's something for everybody. Wow. Old kids like me, too. <laughs> right.
0: One thing I remember, because I've known Jesse for quite some time, one thing I remember is that his mother, you can correct me, owned one of the Playland at the Beach horses from oh, the yep. carousel. Yep, she Was it a horse? or a, She
1: and Dad purchased a uh, Densel horse and a Densel deer. Reindeer, actually. That's the what I remember, yep. too, the reindeer. Yeah. And um, I still have the horse. That is cool. <laughs> yeah, Playland at the beach, uh, Mom and Dad, when Dad was in music, we'd go down to San Francisco because he'd go to Hoyt Music to buy sheet music for his students, and Mom would go to the flower market to buy things for the gift shop. And we'd always go into Chinatown and have fun, but we always went to Playland at the beach, and uh, the memories were terrific, and uh, it all stuck.
0: You know, I, I happened to f- go about 10 years ago. I don't know if you saw it, but a movie came to the pageant, and it was a documentary all about Playland. Oh, yeah. Big Sal. Yeah, yeah. You bet. Laughing Sal and all Laugh and that. Laughing Sal. That and was now a lot of fun. There is still a Playland Museum. I believe it's now in El Cerrito.
1: Um, I'm not quite sure where it is, but you can find it. No, it's not, and you can find it online. Right. Because I've gone online and looked. I just don't have it at my fingertips. Right. Right. But those things are really fun. Oh, they are. But it's
0: really cool that your family was so involved in that type of thing. Yep. And even you know, running a first an animal exhibit, then a circus.
1: Yep. Lucky and blessed, I have to say.
0: Now, did you uh, did you ever have an incident where an animal might have got loose,
1: like you know, (laughs) in Chico? When we were living over on Pomona, um, someone who was supposed to be feeding the bear uh, didn't lock the bear's gate Uh to his cage. (laughs) And mom saw the bear was loose and so took all the kids in the house and started counting noses. And there was one nose that was still out on the swings playing as the bear was going to him, and that was me. Uh, There was never any danger. My dad just (laughs) went over and grabbed a hold of the bear's collar and just took him right back to the cage but it was it's it's a great family story what type of bear was that malayan sun bear are they large or uh standing on their hind legs probably five feet tall oh, okay. four and a half to five That's feet not so real
0: small. it's not a grizzly or anything oh no but, yeah. no not at yeah. all but um
1: uh still a wild animal
0: so, right yeah. now back in those days didn't you also have to worry about insurance when your business is wild animals because
1: um you always had liability insurance but Back in uh, the 50s it wasn't like and it 60s, not even close. Um, Ringling is now out of business, primarily put out of business, because uh, several organizations r- really prevented them from uh, showing the animals that uh, the, the public really likes. And circuses were usually the only place where you could ever see some exotic animals. And uh, back then it was your business to take care of them and if you didn't take care of your animals they didn't take care of you and they didn't bring in the crowds so it was always in the best interest of circuses to uh, make sure they were well fed and well trained and well taken care of there's always bad apples I mean you take right. any group anywhere right and and you've got a group of people that will have a percentage that abuse right
0: right now there's uh, we still have cursors uh, nearby oh my goodness with yes. a lot of uh, well, they, they, they do rescue animals, the, right?
1: They're very special because they, they take injured animals and repair them and bring them back to health. And, and then do yeah. they try to
0: take them back to the wild? Is that it, their goal? It depends on
1: what it is, but that is one of their goals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kirshner is an awesome place. And they right. have now, uh, I think it's out on uh, it's Durham-Pence Road. Uh, it, is, it is quite the, uh, quite the place. Very wow. nice.
0: So what do you see for your future here in Chico? I mean, I know you're working with some startups at the current moment that we won't delve into too deeply, but... uh, you don't see any big changes for you. You're a Chico guy. No, I,
1: I don't. Um, I've got four kids that are all successfully out of college and into their careers. And I've got a, a job with a local software company that is incredible. We're going to have um, we Jesse. we first we're gonna, and bang, we're ready to go.
0: We're going to have Jesse back. There's too much good information. Thanks for joining Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn. I'll see you next time. Take Thank care. You, Harold, You're welcome. KKXX, Paradise, K280, GL, Chico, and K2... Kkxx Paradise K two
2: eighty gl Chico
0: and K two eighty three ar Chico Yuba City Marysville.
2: Hi,
1: this is James McDonald from Walk in the Word. Hey, it's always great to hear that a new station partner has come on board. If you've heard our broadcast, then you know I'm passionate about sharing the truth of God's Word. To get fired up about your relationship with Christ, join me each weekday on Walk in the Word. And be sure to check out all the resources available to help you grow strong in the Lord. Just go to our
2: website, walkintheword.com. Join us for Walk in the Word, weeknights at 6 p.m. here on KKXX. Hamilton was adopted from a rescue in 2008. Wow. He really likes to be around people. I get out my mat and I'm doing a downward dog and he's underneath. He's quite the pug about town. He gets invited to a lot of parties. He knows he's a pretty big deal. Look at this little face. How do you not love him? Hamilton the Pug, Instagram star, and Shelter Pet. Amazing adoption stories start in shelters. Visit theshelterpetproject.org